Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with the Friday broadcast. So glad that you're joining us today. Every Friday, I remind you, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. So I hope that you're going to be at church this Sunday. Man, I'd love to see you at Hickory Ridge Community Church. It would be my highest honor to have you as my guest and joining us. And uh, if you want to join us, we have a 9 o'clock or a 1045 service. And just come into the big glass doors under the sign that says, Welcome Home. And we'll make you feel right at home. And I know several of you who listen to me have now been part of the Hickory Ridge Community Church family. And so we are so glad to, that you make that drive. You, you know, no matter where you live in Hampton Roads, if you're on the south side of Hampton Roads, you're no further than 30 minutes to our church. And I know we're down in the boondocks and uh, we're just outside of Moyoc, uh, North Carolina, right on the state line. And uh, as a matter of fact, our motto uh, is where Virginia and North Carolina meet God. And so we basically have one church in two states and uh, half our church is from Carolina and half our church is from Virginia. So come on and join us. And uh, we're right in the middle of building a building right now for our kids. And uh, so these are exciting times. Well, today in the broadcast, I want to talk to you about how do I determine God's leading? Now, let me give you a little test. Here's a test. When you think about what cults have in common. Do you know that all cults have one thing in common? All cults refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and God. You see, the denial of the deity of Christ is the common denominator of all cults. You see, Jesus was born of a virgin, took on the flesh of a man, while still being God. In fact, that is how we define a cult. If a Christian drifts from the faith, he probably won't deny the existence of Jesus, but he will put himself on the throne as Lord. You look at the major faiths of the world, they all have a theology for Jesus, or they all have a, a belief or a doctrine about who Jesus is, but the cults will diminish who he is. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, the deity of Christ. Jesus and God are both one. The Spirit of God is one. And so we must hold high the deity of Christ. You know, 1 John 4, 1 in the Living Bible says, Dearly loved friends, don't always believe everything you hear just because somebody says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. For there are many false teachers around. So when we think about discerning the will of God or determining God's leading, where can we find this information? How do I know what I should do? Well, I can look to myself, right? Uh, a lot of people start with that point and say, well, uh, if it's to be, it's going to be because of me. And Proverbs 14, 12 over says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And Jeremiah reminds us that our hearts, man, they're deceitful above all things. And, and they're desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? There's another place that you can get direction from. And that is from God. Job 33, 14 says, God does speak. Now one way and now another. Uh, though man may not perceive it, God speaks. And even Elihu's speech to Job in that self-righteous speech uh, was right when he says that God does speak to us. We can get direction from God. But there's a third place or a third option. We've talked about ourselves. we talked about God. But we can also get it from Satan or others. Let me give you a couple of verses that talk about this. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, For such men are false apostles. Who's he talking about? 
those who are driven by Satan, right? They're deceitful, they're workmen, they're, they are masquerading as angels of light. Now, Paul says, you know, this is not surprising. He says, for their, their servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. That's what Satan does. He pretends to be righteous. He is the Antichrist, similar to Christ, pretending to be Christ, but not Christ. In fact, the opposite of Christ that is trying to pretend to be like Christ. He says their end will be their actions they deserve. So we can get influenced by Satan, demons. We can get direction from angels. Uh, and, and there's another, we can get it from other people. Second Timothy chapter 3 talks about that. In the end times, it talks about people will be lovers of self and lovers of money, pride, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then verse 5 says, and I've got it underlined, I should highlight it and circle it. Paul says, avoid such people. Avoid those who are the lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God. They have a form of godliness or they appear to be godly, but they deny its power. They're really selfishly motivated or selfishly driven. So how do we test what the will of God is? How do we test an impression. Well, let me give you seven ways to test an impression. And number one, ask yourself, does what this impression that I'm receiving, does it agree with scripture? Luke 21, 33 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God endures forever. You see, facts that we believe that we no longer believe change when we do it under the guise or under the light of scripture. And so does what I am feeling, this impression I'm having, does it agree with Scripture? You know, when we think about what the Bible says about various activities, the Bible has direction for us and gives us principles on how we should live our lives. Many people don't even know what Scriptures say, so they can have a false impression. You know, there's some facts that we no longer believe because truth has come to the surface. Here's a false fact, for example. The Great Wall of China is the only man-made structure visible from space. Well, this is wrong on so many levels. First, while you are still close enough to the Earth to see the Great Wall, you can also see road networks and other large objects that were created by man. There is, in fact, no distance from the Earth in which you can only see the Great Wall. By the time you get a few thousand miles away, you can see nothing man-made. Astronaut Alan Bean said, The only thing you can see from the moon is a beautiful sphere, mostly white with clouds, some blue, some oceans, patches of yellow deserts, and every once in a while, some green vegetation. No man-made object is visible on this scale. In fact, when first leaving Earth's orbit, and only a few thousand miles away, no man-made object is visible at any point either. So people wrongly believe they could see the Great Wall of China from space. You can't. Why do people believe certain things? Because we've been told certain things. You know, Paul said this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. 
and through us he diffuses this fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are believing, knowledge among those who are perishing. Now, God never leads contrary to his word. I'm going to give you my definition of stupid. Here's what stupid is, right? Knowing the truth, seeing evidence of the truth, but still believing a lie. Now, to me, that's not wise at all. That would be the definition of stupid. I know the truth, but I'm going to continue to believe something that's not truth, regardless of the evidence of the truth. I'm still going to believe a lie. How many people live that way? And why do we do that? I think it's because of pride. You know, if you're going to be one that is going to be testing your life, asking, does it agree with scripture? There's going to be some humble pie that you're going to have to answer. So the first step of testing an impression is, does it agree with scripture? Number two, does it make me more like Christ? Paul said to the Philippian believers, in your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. Uh, You think about living like Christ. Is the decision that I'm about to make, will it allow me to be more like Christ? James was very practical when he wrote these words in James 3, 14 and 17. He says, you know, if you harbor bitterness and envy and self-ambition in your hearts, Such wisdom doesn't come from heaven. No, it's earthly. It's unspiritual. He says it's demonic. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, and it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it's impartial, and it's sincere. So, what do you want to quit? Does quitting what I want to quit make me war like Christ? Jesus is teaching one day at a festival and and it's called the Festival of Booths. It's found in John 7. In the middle of this festival, Jesus gets up and he starts teaching in the temple. He's challenged by the Jews who says, who can be such a teacher when he has not gone to rabbinical school? Now, how does Jesus know the truth about God when he wasn't trained in a rabbinical school? Jesus said what he was teaching was not his, but God's teaching, not his own authority. This is how he responds in John 7, 17. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Then they accuse Jesus of having a demon who was seeking to kill him. Now, that's kind of ludicrous when you think about it. But we learn an elemental truth here. And that is, when you are seeking your own glory, you will miss the will of God of God. You see, you got to ask yourself, is what I'm about to do, does it make me more like Christ? In John 5, 23, it says, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. You see, when I honor Jesus, I am honoring his Father, my Father in heaven. Whoever doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. Bill Bennett recently said, we All of us, but especially the young, need around us individuals who possess a certain nobility, a largeness of soul, and qualities of human experience that are worth imitating, that are worth striving for. You see, people can never be biblical leaders and truly mature until they come to realize that God has called them to be examples to others. As Jesus pointed out, a disciple is not greater than his teacher. But everyone, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. 
Well, let's review real quick. Number one, if we're going to test an oppression, we must ask ourselves, does it agree with scripture? Number two, does it make me more like Jesus? Number three, does my church leadership confirm it? Henry Ford says, you don't have to hold a position in here in order to be a leader. Well, that may work for the Ford plant, but as you think about how church leadership is brought together, in Acts chapter 13, there are prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch. And then there was Barnabas. And his real name was Joseph, but his name was changed to Barnabas because he became notorious for being one who encourages. And then they have a list of all of the leaders that were there. Now, one of the men that was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work that I've called them to. So that after more fasting and more prayer, the men laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So here we see something very interesting. We see the church leadership confirming the call on Saul, whose name was later Paul, and Barnabas. I want you to know that God raises up church leaders. And the purpose of these church leaders is to protect the church from false doctrine, to recognize the calling of God upon the lives of those who are led to lead. Greg Rochelle says this, don't just delegate tasks to the next generation. If you delegate tasks, you create followers. Instead, delegate authority to create leaders. We are to look at our church and say, God has placed me as part of this family here, so I must be supportive of the leadership. If I'm going in a direction that is contrary to the leadership of the church, I have probably missed something. You know, many years ago, I was serving as an associate pastor. This is going back 30 years ago. And there was a group within that church who came to me one day and says, you know, I think we need to go down the road and start a new church. And they played into my ego, I guess you could say. And they said, well, listen, uh, the reason a lot of people at this church is because of you anyway. Why don't we go down the road and start a new church and, and, uh, and, and we'll just get our, our, our people together. And, and I, I, I just felt like this didn't, didn't seem like it set right with me. And so I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to present this to the leadership of the church, to the pastors and the deacons, and I'm going to give their take on it. And so I sat down with them and I says, hey, I've got a group of people that came to me and they want to go down the road and start a church, uh, but I don't want to do this without your blessing. And, uh, and so they prayed about it and we spent some time praying and fasting. And, and a week later, we got back together and the leadership says, you know, uh, we don't have a problem necessarily with what you're doing, but we don't think it's a really good time because we were getting ready to go into a building program. And says, if we can wait a year or two, uh, we'd be happy to give our blessings on this, but let's get through this building program and then, then we can move on from there. And, uh, and I went back to that group and, you know, they all got upset. Yeah, they all got upset. You see, they wanted to go contrary to the leadership of the church. I'm so glad I didn't get hung up on that. I'm so glad I didn't go down that path. I don't think I'd be where I am today if I had gone down that path. So you got to ask yourself, uh, number three, does my church leadership confirm it? And then number four, is it consistent with how God works? You know, God has a way of doing business. It's always honest. It's always open. It always produces good works. It's never out of selfish desires. He equips us with the ability to do certain things very well. Paul says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are told that God has given each of us the ability to do certain things very well. Listen, God's work is always wrapped in godliness and goodness. 
Is it consistent with how God works? Number five, does it concern judging others? We are told in Romans 14 that we should accept him who is weak in the faith without passing judgment on matters of disputable issues. You see, some things are nonsense. We're told in Romans chapter 14 that we should all one day be judged, not by other standards, not even by our own, but by the standard of Christ. It is God alone that we have to answer to for our others. So as we have this impression, does it concern judging others? Oh, I want you to know God hasn't called us to be in a position of judging others. God has called us to be in a position of loving others and sharing the gospel with others. Well, number six, when I think about an oppression, I could ask myself, is it convicting rather than condemning? We are told that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us from all wrong. You know, when you think about accusing the brother, Satan accuses people. And if we are going about accusing others, then we are actually carrying out the enemy's plans, not God's plans. If it's going to be something that is divisive, we learn from Titus that we're to reject a divisive man after the first and the second admonition, knowing that such a person is corrupt, sinful, and self-centered. You know, I want to spend just a minute talking about the difference between conviction and condemnation. You see, conviction comes from God. You have sinned. Condemnation, on the other hand, comes from Satan. He says, you are worthless. Conviction that is rejected will always lead you to condemn somebody else. Let me repeat that just in case you missed it. When we are under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, we have no rounds to go if we don't repent, and we will always be led to condemn somebody else. That's one of the ways that you know you've been under conviction. Instead of dealing with your sin, you are blaming somebody else or you're condemning somebody else. Well, let me review real quick before I get to the last point. When we have an impression of the Lord, how do we know it's truly from Him? Well, number one, we must ask ourselves, does it agree with Scripture? Number two, we must ask ourselves, does it make me more like Christ? Oh, in our lives, we must think and we must act like Jesus Christ. Number three, does my church leadership confirm this impression that I have? Number four, is it consistent with how God works? You know, God has a pattern for doing things that always involves honesty, transparency, always producing good works. Number five, does it concern judging others? Listen, we are to accept those who are weak in faith without passing judgment on disputable matters. Some things are nonsense. Let's always remember that. Some things are not worth fighting for. Other things, we must go to the mat and we must be willing to fight. Number six, is it convicting rather than condemning? Realizing the difference between condemnation and convicting. And then number seven, do I sense peace and harmony about it? Now, notice this is the last point. Not the first point, but the last point. And unfortunately, you can have peace about something even if it's not God's will. I've discovered if I want to do something well, bad enough, I can have a false sense of peace, a false sense of harmony. So the last point here is do I sense that peace and that harmony? First Corinthians puts it this way in verse 33 of chapter 14. 
when we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. This goes for all the churches, no exceptions. Now, this is so important, especially within a church environment. The enemy so wants to bring division within a church. He so wants the church to be living in disharmony. He will stir things up into confusion, and many times he does it without those perpetrators realizing they are falling right into the plan of the enemy. Colossians 3.15 reminds us that we're to let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. You know what I think about peace. The peace that Jesus gives is not necessarily the absence of trouble, but rather the confidence that he is there and he is always there. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother offered to remain with him in prison and to spend a night in that chamber to be of assistance and comfort to his brother. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and he meant to sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his Savior. Listen, and so can we. You know, even the world sometimes recognizes peace As a matter of fact, Duke University did a study on peace of mind and talked about the factors found that contribute to one who is living in stability, one who has great emotional peace and great stability. Number one, they found that people that live at peace have the absence of suspicion, they're not filled with resentment, they're not nursing a grudge, they are realizing that I cannot go down that path and live at peace. You see, nursing a grudge is a major factor in unhappiness. This study also found that those who are living at peace are not living in the past. You know, an unwholesome preoccupation with those old mistakes and those old failures will always lead you to be a depressed person. If you're stuck in the past, there's this preoccupation of you're going to be stuck in depression. Number three, the study found out those who are living with peace of mind don't waste a lot of time, don't waste a lot of energy on fighting conditions that you cannot change. They actually cooperate with life. Instead of trying to run away from it, they realize there's certain things I can't change. So to have peace of mind, I've got to learn to focus my energy on fighting things that are really important. Number four, those that had this peace of mind, would force themselves to stay involved in the living world. Now, now this is a good one when you think about it. We resist the temptation to withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. Listen, if you're going through a hard time right now, everything in you will say, get isolated, get by yourself, get away from people. When you are most stressed, you need people more than ever. You know why we do funerals? Because when you've lost somebody very close to you, you need that emotional support of family and friends to come along and support you. Well, here's something else they find about people who live with peace of mind. They refuse to indulge in self-pity. When life hands them a raw deal, they don't dwell in it. They accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow. 
without some misfortune. There's something else they find out about people that have peace of mind. They cultivate those old-fashioned virtues. Here's what they are. Love and, and humor and compassion and loyalty. People that are living with a peace of mind, as Duke's study found, they don't expect too much of themselves. Where there is too wide a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals you have set, feelings of inadequacy are inevitable. In other words, they're comfortable with their failures. Not that they're embracing failure, but they realize there's some things I just can't do. There's some things that are beyond my ability to do, so I don't beat myself up over that. And then lastly, this study found that those who lived with the most peace of mind, they found something bigger than themselves to believe in. Self-centered, egotistical people scored the lowest in any kind of test that would measure happiness. They didn't spend a whole lot of time focusing on themselves, thinking about themselves. They focused on others. Listen, I want to encourage you today. As you go through life, life is short. Spend time in God's Word. Allow God's Word to penetrate your heart and your soul, and you'll be changed. Your mind will be changed. Your heart will be changed. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.